welcome to Speaking of College. Welcome, it's your source for reliable knowledge. Oh yeah, we got Dr. P as your host. As your host, we gon' tell you what you need to know. Need to know. Need to know. The more you know, the more you grow. The more you grow. The more you know, the more you grow. Grow. Get more knowledge. Knowledge. Welcome to Speaking of College. Speaking of College. Yeah. Welcome to Speaking of College, your source for reliable answers to college-related questions. I'm your host, Amelia Parnell, and today's episode is about how you can capture more of the things you learn in college inside the classroom and outside the classroom. I had a great conversation about this topic with my friend, Helen Chin. Helen is a research scientist in the Designing Education Lab in the Department of Mechanical Engineering at Stanford University. She holds an undergraduate degree in communication from UCLA and a PhD in communication with a minor in psychology from Stanford. Helen is a board member for the Association for Authentic, Experiential, and Evidence-Based Learning, also known as ABLE, and is a co-author of Documenting Learning with ePortfolios, a guide for college instructors. Helen is also co-executive editor of the International Journal of ePortfolio. She works closely with the Association of American Colleges and Universities, and consults with institutions on general education redesign, authentic assessment approaches, design thinking, personal branding, and ePortfolios. Helen's current research and scholarship focuses on engineering and entrepreneurship education, the pedagogy of portfolios and reflective practice in higher education, and redesigning how learning is recorded and recognized in traditional transcripts and academic credentials. I'm excited for you to hear our conversation, so let's get into it. Helen, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here. I am too. This is going to be a really fun conversation. And I want to start it off with the same question that I ask everybody, which is when you think back to where you got your start in college, tell us about where you started and what influenced your decision to go there. So I actually went to college at UCLA, go Bruins. And, you know, my decision and even my application process at that time was pretty straightforward. I basically, it was one UC application and I checked them all. And then I wrote my essays and personal statement and I submitted it. I think for me, um, I'm originally from Southern California, from Orange County. And I really did want to stay close to home because it was just my mom and my brother. And so I got into UCLA, got into UC Berkeley, you know, and I think it was a very different time compared to what the application process for the UCs is right now. But I feel very fortunate that I was able to have my choice of the UCs and end up going to UCLA because it was just far enough away that I was able to stay in the dorms all four years and then really came home most weekends to be with my family. Yeah, I can definitely agree with the family influence. Uh, my twin sister and I actually went to the same undergrad, Florida a and we were roommates and the school was an hour and a half away from my parents. So we didn't go home every weekend, but it I don't know, it was, it was really nice to be able to know that I could if I just needed to. So finding that balance is really cool. All right. So we got a lot to talk about. It's going to be a little bit of documenting, learning, a little bit of digital presence. But I'm thinking about the person who's listening to today's episode and trying to figure out how they want to tell their story. So whether it be visually on a website, maybe it's their resume, maybe it's something else. But the idea that they're going to be able to show to somebody else what they know, what they can do, and maybe a little bit of their personality and the things they enjoy. And there are a lot of considerations for that. So eventually we'll get into some specific questions about tools and things that you've been helping 
helping students use. But first things first, let's just talk about it broadly. Why does it matter about how we decide to document what we learn and what we can do? And how does the digital presence, I'm thinking about LinkedIn, but I don't know if that's dating myself. You know, Why does all that matter? Maybe even by the time we toss in social media. So I guess the first question is, why should we think about documenting learning and having a digital presence? And what are some of the options? Should somebody decide to do so? Happy to start off with that question. And so I guess when I talk with students, and I work with both undergraduate and graduate students, as well as postdocs, I guess the question about when someone Googles you or when someone searches for you online, what do they find? What shows up? And so we actually go through this exercise with our students. We say, okay, so you're going to pair up with someone and I'm going to Google you, Amelia. First, before I do that, I'm going to open an incognito window or a private window. And I might use a variety of search engines. I might use Google. I might use Microsoft Edge because different search engines will bring up different results. So I put in your name, Amelia Parnell. I look at the first page of results and I'm not just looking at the results. I'm also looking at the images and what shows up. And so if you've ever done this exercise, I think many of us have, it's interesting to see, like, you know, so a couple of things might happen. Someone might come up that maybe shares your name, but is not you. It could be that it's exactly the results that you want someone to find. But the idea is like trying to have a better understanding of what's the story that's already being told about you based on the algorithms of Google, let's say, and knowing what's out there is really important. Because there's also the story that you want to be out there, uh, that you want people to remember about you. So the idea around building your professional digital presence or your digital footprint, first of all, the first step is just knowing what's out there being told, because all of us have some kind of footprint, whether it's like, you know, for our freshman students, for example, you know, the pictures are all from, you know, high school football or track or, you know, statistics that way. Is it like awards that have been won and things like that? But really trying to understand what is your digital presence now? And then, of course, the question is, what do you want it to be? You know, what's your purpose or reason for having a digital presence? And also, who's your audience? Who do you want to see it? Helen, first off, I did not know that different search engines might bring up different results. I have put my name in Google before, not for the purpose of seeing what's out there about me, but just to see just in general, if something that I was looking for, I could find it. So I was looking for a report. (laughs) I I put my name in, hoping that the name of the report would come up and I would see images, but I didn't think anything of it. So you got me thinking now, Um, I really only use one browser for everything. So now (laughs) I have to do some homework for myself. So that's really good frame. So let's maybe go in an additional direction. And I imagine I can see the benefits to the individual as uh, you've just described. But who else would be interested in seeing those things? And I, I think, of course, people think about employers. And so the idea that you would be applying for a job and what if that potential employer were to put your name in a search engine, what would they find? Is there another reason why somebody else might look you up? And if so, who might those people be and what are they looking for? That's a great question. So in thinking about what's the purpose and who's the audience. So, you know, for many students, the purpose might be, you know, they're applying for jobs, for fellowships, scholarships. It could be that they're applying to uh, transfer to another institution or to graduate programs. So with that purpose comes specific audiences. So one can imagine for grad programs, you're looking at admissions committees or for employers, you know, the search committees that are evaluating applications or HR, recruiting, hiring managers, and so on. So those might be the different audiences. Maybe those are the primary audiences. A secondary audience might be friends and family, potential funders, collaborators, and so on. And a tertiary audience might be just the general public at large. 
So this idea of like, in terms of what your story is, you know, how do you communicate what you know and what you can do? It can cover all of these different audiences, but you may have a primary audience in mind. Now, you know, when I talk with students about why they might want to put together a portfolio, in this case, I'm defining a portfolio as, you know, personal professional website that, you know, what does your portfolio reveal about you? Let's say that other profiles and records do not, you know, so for example, you may have a LinkedIn profile, you may have your resume or CV, you may have your academic transcript. Well, the idea around a portfolio is that it can really give the person a way to tell a consistent story and a holistic message across the various components of their online presence. So you might imagine what your digital footprint might be, your digital ecosystem, so to speak. You know, it might include LinkedIn. It might include a profile that you might have on your university website. Or if you're a member of a lab, maybe there's a lab profile. It might, of course, include social media from Instagram to Snapchat, all of Twitter. These things might show up as well. And then oftentimes these days, you know, since the pandemic, how we're meeting now, the first time that I might meet someone might be through Zoom, in which case, you know, what you have your name, what your name might be, if you include your pronouns, that also gives an impression as well. So these things, acknowledging that you are part of this digital ecosystem, how do you kind of bring it all together? And so the idea of building a portfolio or a website, it gives you, the individual, the greatest control and ownership about what you want to communicate about your experiences, as well as your values that are important to you, that you can provide some context and background. And then lastly, it really allows you to differentiate yourself from other platforms that focus on standardization. So if you can imagine your LinkedIn profile, it's a standardized format. They all pretty much look the same, even though there are places where you can include, let's say, a PDF, a link to a website, a slide share, or something like that. But a portfolio... I would propose or this website gives you the greatest control over your story as well as your message. That's so cool. And as I listen to you give that reflection, I will go ahead and date myself even more and say that I remember some time back when there was a website called MySpace. And in MySpace land, the thing that I think most people got excited about was that you could actually customize the background of your landing page. So like if you wanted to play music, and of course I know those listening now are like, are you kidding me? Just because <laughs> it can play music, like that's the fanciest thing. But you could choose whatever song you wanted, that type of thing. You could change colors, you could change the font size. And so something about everything that you just described around customization and being able to display your authentic self to whatever degree you decide to, I think is what makes this era that we're in right now in terms of not just documenting what you know and can do, but also your overall digital presence. And so I think that's a nice segue. You mentioned the e-portfolio. And for those that are listening, they of course know that a website could probably be a place to house all that. But I want to get just like tactical. Does a student need to go out and buy one? Like how do they create one? If someone says, okay, you know, Amelia, Helen, this sounds kind of interesting. I think I do want to work on my digital presence. Do I buy a website? Like how, how does it all come together? And how can a student take the first step to create one? Well, you know, it's interesting because people always want to know, what are the tools? What should I use to build one and so on? And I would say that the first step is really thinking about, again, this idea of the purpose as well as your audience. And then thinking about, you know, what do you want to share? What's the story that you want to communicate? And again, this is sort of your portfolio relative to the other places where you might be online, such as your LinkedIn profile, your resume, CV, and so on. There's a public speaker and a former executive at Morgan Stanley named Carla Harris. So I've watched her videos on YouTube and so on. And she posed this question, what are three words you want people to use to describe you when you're not in the room? 
And when you think about that, that is very much the case that we're in now, you know? So again, if we haven't met, you know, and we have this conversation, whether the conversation is through, let's say at a networking event that's in person or just online, what are three words that I would want, you know, someone to describe me, you know, when I'm not there. And the reason is because let's say we met and we have a great conversation and I want to tell my colleague about you and your background and all that you do. I might start sending them, I might write them an email. And then with that email, I don't want to say like, oh, I met Amelia. She's doing these amazing things. She has this fantastic podcast. I might want to include something so that they can get to know you too, whether that's your LinkedIn profile, whether that's a link to your podcast page, something like that, something to share so that they can learn more about you. So this idea of having the portfolio then, you know, and how to get started, I would say the minimum around having this professional online presence is some kind of profile somewhere, someplace that has your name, you know, your picture, if you choose to include it, you certainly don't have to, your contact information, and maybe a short bio. That's the very minimum. So many students actually gravitate to LinkedIn. Now, LinkedIn, I think is, you know, certainly has those things and also has a lot of the professional networking features. It's not just the profile, but they have a whole infrastructure set up to allow people to connect with each other. So there are benefits to that. The idea, though, around a portfolio is that you really get to choose. There are no sort of set expectations that a portfolio has to look like this or that. In fact, a student said to me once, you know, what I like about the portfolio, it's that, you know, if someone clicks on it, they're deferring to me. What I decide to put up, what I want to focus on, you know, what I want to share, I can do that. You know, there are no sort of expectations. So in terms of tools and platforms, then, you know, where to get started? Well, there's lots of free tools out there. So whether let's say you are already, you know, using the Google suite, you want to just try it using Google sites. There are free website building tools like Wix and Weebly are two examples. And what those offer are lots of different templates to choose from. Now, those I think are Wix, Weebly, Squarespace, frankly, any of the platforms along those lines. Some of them, it's more to take a close look. Some of them are free up to a certain limit, like a limited number of pages. Others, you know, there may be some payment up front. So it's important to look at, you know, what are the specific features and agreements there and so on. Most all of them, though, do offer a way to purchase your own domain name. And that's where, you know, if you wanted ameliaparnell.com or something like that, then those actually have an additional fee that's associated with them. But it's perfectly fine to not have that. Like you can actually do a lot as you're trying to figure out what you like, you know, what, you know, sort of templates and things like that. And then it would be something like, ameliaparnell.weebly.com and just have that weebly.com. Other tools, like if you are in computer science or some of the tech fields and you may already have a profile on GitHub, then GitHub also hosts websites as well and they have various templates, maybe a little bit more on the you know, programming, the backend side, you know, HTML programming and, and, you know, things like that. I would say something like WordPress also has sort of a steeper learning curve, but lots of tools out there just to kind of experiment with and get started and then figure out where you want to go from there. Yeah. Helen, so I met you several years back when you were connecting with Stanford students on the ePortfolio and I learned about it and got a chance to really get to know more about your work. But as you continue to talk about this, I remember way back, and I feel like this must be the Date Amelia episode, you know, thing. I had a blogspot type page. So it was the name of the site, .blogspot.com. And then I went from there to WordPress. And you're right. I think they do vary in levels of sophistication. And the more you want to do with it, the more you can get involved. It actually makes me think of another aspect of this I'm, I'm wondering if you can share a little bit. So 
part of the developmental process when someone is trying to figure out their digital presence is what to post and when, and when is too much and what happens if you want to change. And so I know that sometimes people give that advice, like, Hey, be careful with the internet. Cause once you put it out there, it's like, it's there forever. <laughs> so I got to ask you, what advice do you have for the learner who's saying they're on a journey? Maybe they've been in college for a year and they want to post what they've been up to right now, but knowing that maybe in two or three years, they may have advanced in their level of skill and they don't want to show the very early versions of their work because it's gotten better and improved. To what extent should people be concerned about the idea that when they go into that search engine, that both things will come up, like the new stuff that they've been working on, as well as all that old stuff that they wish they could take down, but you can't get rid of it because once it's on the internet, it's, you know, it's there forever. So you understand my question is kind of like, how do you find that balance you know what advice can you give us it's a great question because it also shows like i mean as someone who is growing learning you know developing and so on and that you may not necessarily know you know what you want to do and you're going to grow and change over time this also sometimes i think relates to advice that students are getting around like be authentic you know be yourself but there's a certain privilege associated with being authentic online. And when we think about all of us have multiple different identities, you know, which ones are we comfortable sharing online and which ones maybe we're not ready to. And that is completely a personal decision about what you want to share and what you maybe want to hold back on, you know, because you don't know, you're still figuring things out. On one hand, you know, I've worked with students who said, well, this is who I am. And, you know, and I don't want to work someplace that doesn't accept that these are the aspects of who I am. They're willing to kind of put it out there and so on. And I think our role, you know, as faculty, as staff, as advisors, as mentors and so on, is not to say, you should do this or you should do that. But, you know, to really help all students make that decision. How do you make informed decision? I, especially when I think about my colleagues in career education, you know, career coaches, if someone has like done advocacy work or for political or religious organizations, do they put that in their resume or not? And how do we help students understand like what are the potential implications and think that through? On the other hand, you know, certainly some students, they're not ready to put that out there and everything because they've got student debt, loans to pay off and so on. So maybe want to be a little bit more conservative in terms of what to put out there. I think this idea, though, of, you know, and why the Google yourself exercise is that it's important to know. It's important to know what's out there. Now, there's also something called search engine optimization, SEO. One can build a website and then have it ready. But then when you search for it, it doesn't show up. And so this really makes the, for the argument of starting earlier, you know, that if you want something to show up, that, you know, it helps to kind of start putting it out there. And some of the advice we give to students is that, you know, let's say you build your website, or even let's say it's your LinkedIn profile, how do you get people to click on it? Well, one of the first places, your prime real estate is your email signature. That, you know, your email signature almost becomes like a little bio where you can actually have your, your Twitter link, your LinkedIn, your email, your website, and so on. And that sort of, if someone wants you, they can easily click on it. Now, if I go to your Twitter page or if I go to your uh, LinkedIn profile, from there, maybe it points to your website. And then on your website, it points to LinkedIn. <laughs> so you can see how these things... Cycle. Exactly. And so that's how, you know, in terms of from the SEO perspective, which is this huge area field in and of itself and so on, where how you can make sure by the time you're ready to go onto the job market or apply for schools and so on, that, you know, when someone searches for you, that they see that the things that you want them to see are up at the top and the other things that maybe you don't want them to see get pushed down to the bottom. 
Alan, I am thrilled about this conversation because honestly, the things we're talking about for an audience of those who are currently enrolled in college is so translatable. Like you don't actually end up stopping your development of your digital presence once you leave college. And I think that's going to be a nice segue because we're going to go to the break. And when we come back, I got some more questions for you, maybe a little bit tougher, but looking ahead to the future and how students can actually use their digital presence and effort to document their learning toward future goals until post-college types of things. So when we come back, we're going to talk more about it. We use data to make decisions every day, whether we're checking the weather, managing our budget, or planning a project. Sometimes it's easy to know which information you need and how to use it, while at other times, it's nice to share and analyze your data with a friend. I love data conversations, and I want those discussions to be more accessible and beneficial to everyone. So I wrote a book, and it's called You Are a Data Person, Strategies for Using Analytics on Campus. In the book, I explain why I think we all have a data identity that includes six core abilities that we all possess to some degree. I wrote this book to encourage all of us to leverage our strengths and make some of our most critical data-informed decisions together. If you want to learn more, my new book, You Are a Data Person, is available on Amazon and all other major book outlets. All right, so we're back. Helen, are you ready for what I would call the ask the expert section for questions? Sure, bring it on. All right, so some of them will be a little bit tougher, but I'm pretty sure you can answer all of these. So I mentioned before the break that we're going to talk about the future. And as I'm thinking about digital presence, it is kind of like what I alluded to earlier, the advice that we typically would probably give somebody in college about how they can prepare for the next phase of whatever they're doing. So eventually they'll finish their credential, they'll want to enter the workforce, or they'll go to graduate school, or they'll become an entrepreneur. But regardless of what those goals are, at some point, they're going to be thinking about the intentional use of the e-portfolio or some other digital presence for the purpose of their future goals. What are some important things that they should consider as they get to that point? You know, what we try to do in terms of also working with students is really just helping them develop these practices. And this idea of thinking about what you want to do in the future, whether let's say you're looking at a job ad and you're using the things that are in the job ad as a filter to kind of think about all of your past experiences, you know, what's relevant. It's not meant to be that tell me everything that you've ever done and everything, but what are the experiences that are most relevant and applicable to the particular position that you're applying for? Now, the idea though, I mean, sometimes I think we recommend to students, why not look at job ads sooner? You know, what's a job that you think you might like to have? And as you look and see what they're looking for, it's obviously perfectly fine that maybe you don't have those skills right now, but how would you go about developing those skills so that you could represent them in the future. So in terms of having sort of the big picture in mind, I think it's always something to be kind of looking towards because the kinds of skills you're developing and practicing now within the safe space of higher education or your college and university is what you're going to have to do again and again once you graduate. And we know that there are jobs out there that There will be jobs that don't currently exist that will call upon you to kind of represent these skills and think about how you're going to tell the story again, as you started with Amelia, what you know and what you can do. So I think as we look to the future, I've always been struck by this, uh, my colleagues in the Stanford D School, the Hassel Plotner Institute of Design, where they talk about this idea of missions, not majors. Right now, when you're in college, you know, someone, you know, you introduce yourself, you'll say like, hi, my name is Helen Chen, and I'm a mechanical engineering major. Well, of course, there will come a day, one hopes, that where <laughs> I will no longer be a mechanical engineering major, but I'm going to be someone 
you know, who's working in the mechanical engineering field, let's say, or I'm going to have to define who I am and what I know, what I can do by verbs, not just nouns, the nouns of mechanical engineering. So the D-School, an idea that they've proposed, this idea of what if students didn't declare majors, they declare missions. And when you think about it, like, so sure, you've got a major, but a major is really in service of helping you achieve your mission. Whether your mission is like, I really want to help people. Well, there's so many different ways you can help people. Even let's say, you know, you want your, let's say you're interested in medicine. Well, you know, there's so many ways you can help achieve that mission of helping people with their, you know, medical related concerns and so on that don't necessarily become, it's just being a doctor, let's say. I love that idea of, you know, declaring a mission, not a major, and how that might help students kind of reframe what they're hoping to get out of their college experience. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. And I could see how an e-portfolio or other digital strategy would be a place where if a learner had actually determined what they think their current mission is, they might put that there as kind of like the header or the frame for which they pull all of their experiences in. So I know we've given a lot of attention to e-portfolios, but are there other types of digital records or digital tools that someone could use to keep track of what they're learning? And if so, what are some of those? So I think some of the practices in general would be, you know, this idea of journaling, journaling and keeping track of, you know, your experiences. If we are thinking about possibly representing your learning and what you can do in sort of like a digital space, such as like a portfolio or website, then some of it might also be taking pictures or gathering evidence. And those kinds of what we're calling, let's say, artifacts would be things like, you know, if you gave a poster presentation or you have a PowerPoint or a Google slide deck. If you are giving a talk that you might have a friend in the back of the room, take a picture of you giving a talk. Um, And this idea of like in the digital space to be able to show, don't tell that it's never going to be that like, you know, if you're creating, let's say a website, it's not just copying and pasting your resume or CV and now putting it on a website. You know, that if you have, for example, you're talking about, let's say a research project, you might have a video of, you know, some kind of, you know, cell development, or there's a picture of you working in the lab, or there's a picture of you giving a presentation, you know, at a lab meeting and so on. So thinking about how do you kind of collect, create those kinds of artifacts. And then what I would say makes an artifact into an evidence is actually the reflection, you know, sort of how do you get meaning of it? So let's say you published a paper and it's a long list of authors. And then so that's great. But what was your contribution? You know, can you speak to like, you know, what, what did you do? You know, did you help, you know, collect the data, run the analyses and things like that? So when we think about creating meaning for artifacts, it's things like, why was that experience important? What did you learn? You know, how does this inform what you want to do in the future? What kinds of knowledge values or skills that you gain from the experience? So I think creating that evidence is the second one. And then this idea of building out a feedback network. I've always loved the idea of having students create a personal advisory board. People who might be able to, that, you know, as you're kind of going through your career and making decisions, who can you get feedback from? And whether that's an academic advisor, a mentor from high school, or, you know, close family and friends and so on. But people that, you know, as you're, let's say, even trying to figure out what should a headline should I put on my LinkedIn profile? Or is this a good picture? That there are people that you can get feedback on who can help you make that decision. 
I've heard some colleagues call it their personal committee. It's yes. like the committee that gives them feedback, which is the timing of this couldn't be better. I literally, I mean, but then earlier today, sent a revised draft of my own bio to my sister. I said, hey, could you just take a fresh <laughs> look at this? Read it right. cold. Let me know what you think. And so, uh, so much of what we talked about really does not just stop once you get the credential. It goes on, you know, in the future. I got a bonus question I want to slip in here. Is it just see, I've been hearing a lot lately about shorts and the idea that when you're on Instagram or TikTok or YouTube, the idea that because individuals like to consume content so quickly, they don't want to spend, you know, forever going through the 10 minute long video of what you've been doing or pages and pages and pages of something that you've been working on, which makes me a little sad, like, but there's so much context there. There's more that I want to show you. What advice do you have? Or maybe how do you see it? This idea of how to maintain balance? Because I could see that for someone who really just wants to get to know an individual really quickly, 60 seconds of a short or 60 seconds of viewing a website above that top third area is ideal. But if you also have so much more to show from what you've done in maybe two, three, four years of being in college, how do you find the balance between keeping someone's attention for longer than 60 seconds, but not overwhelming them with so much information that they get lost in the details? Yes, it's a terrific question because we often get asked, like, you know, will employers look at this? And I think the question is like, at what stage of the process might they look at a portfolio? The great thing is like, so it's true. I mean, the front page is very important. And in the case of LinkedIn, I mean, their algorithms are such where they really prioritize the headline as well as the bio part. And that's what's meaningful to them. And we know that, let's say recruiters, they only they spend seconds looking at LinkedIn profiles. Similar with the website, I think, you know, your front, your homepage in terms of what you choose to include, you know, and we talk about whether it's three words or a six word story or the elevator pitch, your mission vision statement might be some things that you might consider. But the thing is, like, there are ways, you know, once someone wants to dive deeper, all of that information can be included as well. And that's why also we encourage prioritizing the visual. Gotcha. So I have two questions left. The last one is my favorite question. The one I ask everybody, like the first question, but the next last question, I think we have convinced our listeners that there's something valuable about thinking intentionally around how we visually display who we are, what we can do. And I think we've probably made the case that there are a lot of good reasons to do so maybe early and do so often. Let's say somebody's listening and they're like, okay, you got us. Amelia, Helen, you sold me, but they don't know where to start. What's the best piece of simple advice you give somebody who wants to start thinking intentionally and take action on their digital presence and maybe even an e-portfolio? What should be the next thing they do after they stop listening to this episode? All right. So I think, you know, and I maybe this is reiterating something I said earlier, what's your purpose and who's your audience? Acknowledging that can change over time, but really kind of understand like, who are you trying to reach? Once you know who your audience is, where are they? You know, so in terms of, do you need a portfolio? Do you need a LinkedIn profile? Do you need Twitter and everything? Well, given where your audience is, that's probably where you need to be, you know, so that they can find you. I think the tools, again, as I mentioned, there's a lot out there, but I think probably first and foremost is really kind of building, figuring out what's the story that you want to tell. Also, it's in relation to the other parts of your digital presence, what's not being told on LinkedIn or what's not being told on your resume and so on. You know, the the idea of a portfolio can either be the hub or can help round out a more holistic representation of who you are. Yeah. Well, Helen, I knew I invited the right person to talk about this topic. I knew that we would have a great conversation. And I know now why so many students uh, you work with at Stanford are served especially well when developing their own digital identity and their e-portfolio. We could talk probably for another hour, you know, about this. All right. So, 
we're wearing shirts. I have on the University of Vermont. You have on Stanford. And I've got to ask you my last question, the one that I enjoy the most, which is uh, we're in August now, thinking about the upcoming fall semester. Let's pretend that you are putting together some items in a backpack for somebody who will start college in the next six months. What's one thing you'd put in the backpack and why? Well, Amelia, I do love this question and uh, <laughs> giving this some thought to this and also talking with my high school junior. So we've got a little, I will be preparing that backpack in another year <laughs> or so. You know, what I really want to, you know, convey to students is that you're more than your major. You're more than, you know, you enter college and that's somehow you get kind of pigeonholed or defined as, you know, whatever you happen to be studying. And so what's going to remind you that, you know, there's more to you, there's more to life. There's, you know, you would now have this identity as a, as a learner at your particular institution institution. And I think one of the best ways to kind of remind someone is actually through music. So whether it's a Spotify or Apple music, some sort of playlist that's just going to remind you of all the different dimensions of who you are and not just who you are, but your feelings as well. That's awesome. Helen, I think you are the first to mention a playlist. I've heard a lot of answers. <laughs> Almost every single time I ask this question, I always think, okay, now I got to add that to the list. I keep thinking at some point I'm going to do another episode like the one I did in season one where I just put together some of the best answers about what would you put in the backpack. So I now have to add a playlist you know, to it. I'm thinking now what would I put on a playlist if I were making one for somebody? So... Cool. Well, Helen, thank you so much for this conversation. I think that we have made the case for individuals thinking about their digital identity. And I imagine that if this were someone listening, that they might have interest in following your work. So is there a place where your digital identity lives that someone can follow you? Are you on social media? Are you on LinkedIn or something like that that I could link in the show notes? Definitely. So I'm on LinkedIn and I will also share some resources, you know, about getting started, some digital story strategies and so on. And then I'll have my contact information if anyone would like more a consultation or more information about, you know, how to get started. All right. Well, I'll put links to all of that in the show notes. And once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Amelia. If you have a question about college or an idea for a future episode, I'd love to hear from you. Just send me a note at Amelia at speakingofcollege.com. I'll be back again soon. And in the meantime, I hope you have an inspiring day.